Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Michael Darius, the State Department's Senior Procurement Executive. Mike, I always appreciate the time, and it's great to catch up. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. There's a lot to go over, and, and I'm going to start at the beginning. Recently, you all put together about a, five strategies to talk about acquisition. Can you talk a little bit about what those are and, and talk a little bit about the, how you determine them? Uh, give me some of the basics. We put a, a strategy document out there and uh, published it for our industry partners to take a look at and also shared it broadly uh, internally within the department to really kind of set the markers out there for where we're trying to take the acquisition program writ large for the State Department. It's uh, encompassing five overarching goals. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on those at a high level. In terms of uh, how we got to, to these, there's no magic number. These were the, I think, the most pressing and, uh, and cross-cutting issues that we're seeing uh, affecting mission support as it relates to acquisition. And, uh, and these are the things that I think uh, offer the, the highest yields in terms of economy of effort. There's, there are things that we can do in each of these areas that touch the others. And, uh, and I think you'll probably see the synergies here. So the very first one is uh, increasing competition and supplier diversity. And uh, specifically in two um, parts of our portfolio, our construction portfolio overseas and also our uh, diplomatic security portfolio. Not that we don't want to see competition across the board, we do. But in those two areas, uh, that, that those are our largest spend areas uh, in the portfolio. And uh, those are also the two areas where we have the least amount of competition. Competition is healthy. It's good for us, drives innovation. It, uh, it's good for industry. It's good for the American taxpayer. You know, So we're, we're trying to really uh, focus on driving competition and diversifying our supplier base. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means to, uh, especially as it relates to our uh, small disadvantaged uh, business goals. The second overall priority is uh, really driving acquisition planning, proactive and early acquisition planning, uh, and trying to reduce the number of interim contracts uh, that we use. That's a fancy term, Jason, for saying uh, sole source contracts where, you know, we just uh, we ran out of time to get the, the competition done. Or in some cases, there are some extenuating uh, circumstances that prevented us from conducting the competition as scheduled. And uh, that results in interim contracts or, you know, some people commonly refer to those as bridge contracts. I don't think it's healthy for us or industry, so it, it doesn't give industry the opportunity to uh, to put forward new solutions that might be out there in the marketplace. So it, we both kind of lose out on the opportunity to think about innovation together and they're costly. When, it, when a company has uh, a continued sole source contract, sometimes they are not always as motivated to give us the best deal and or you know their hands are tied in some cases uh, because they're tied to the contracting structure uh, that was previously in place and they simply can't. Uh, because of terms and conditions or contract type, uh, put their best foot forward uh, financially for us. So for a variety of reasons, it really does make sense for us to try to uh, reduce the usage of these interim contracts. The only way to do that is to get after acquisition planning uh, more effectively. The third goal is really fostering a better pre-award environment and a, po a better post-award environment. And what I mean by that is better acquisition planning, earlier acquisition planning, gives us the opportunity to bake in time for things like negotiations, 
uh, or you know, just in general, having more time to develop a stronger acquisition strategy. When we're driving to the eleventh hour and and you know back against the wall, sometimes uh, you know, let's be honest, we are recycling some old acquisition strategies that may not be serving us as well as they they should be uh, in today's uh, environment. So earlier strategy development, baking in time for doing good things like negotiations and and, uh, better opportunities for uh, discussions, better opportunities for uh, interactions with industry. I'll talk a little bit about that later too. We want more dialogue with industry. We want to start giving the opportunity during the, uh, the market research phase in, in RFI, RFP development to be talking to industry more often, but we need the time to do that. So the fourth one is really all about our people, uh, building uh, capacity and capability across our workforce, building a community of practice at the State Department as it relates to the acquisition community. And that includes contracting officers, uh, program managers and cores, contracting officer representatives, you know, kind of the, the three legs of the proverbial stool. Uh, we want all three of those legs to be strong. And so we're, we're trying to think about how we can develop our people differently uh, in the acquisition world. The, the last one is really about innovation. So driving uh, more of an innovative culture at the department and kind of centering, centering it around uh, this concept of acquisition experience or ACX is what we call it. That's uh, employee experience. And when I say employees, I'm talking about Procurement practitioners, uh, the the contracting specialists, contracting officers themselves in my shop, but it's also customer experience, of course, uh, and it's stakeholder experience. We want people to have a good touch point with our acquisition program, you know, whether they're in the department or outside of the department. So, for example, Jason, you're a stakeholder, right, uh, of ours uh, as it relates to the acquisition program. So, uh, we're really kind of focused on promoting an innovative culture that. I think does two two things primarily thinks differently about how we do the business. So, you know, we want to borrow the best techniques that are out there and, and not uh, necessarily try to recreate the wheel. Also just thinking differently though, about our unique uh, environment, because we do have a unique uh, buying environment, um, both overseas and domestically. We just, we procure different things than some agencies. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to think, borrow innovative uh, techniques from others, but also come up with our own uh, where it makes sense. And then also the use of cognitive tools. Uh, so uh, things like smart uses of AI, smart uses of machine learning algorithms uh, that can help us to automate the work and free the big brain cells of our uh, knowledge workers up so that they can focus on all those other things I was just talking about, the, the strategy development, the early planning, et cetera. So those are the, those are the five uh, acquisition priorities that we put forward. And um, some of this uh, is, is not going to sound new to people that are familiar with federal acquisition. It's kind of, it's kind of the basics, but we, we really want to, through, through economy of effort and just uh, a, a dedicated lens on um, you know, the acquisition uh, program for the department, really, really get after these. All right, lot to dig out. So let's maybe go a little bit backwards and, and start with the uh, acquisition planning. And a lot of times people look at this and sure. call it, you know, PULT, right? Procurement, lead yeah. time. Where are you today with acquisition planning? Everything's different, I get it, but I'm sure you look at the numbers and what, what's the average and what do you hope to get it down to? Yeah, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit of a cowboy here and say that uh, PALT is important, of course, 
but that's not really what we're trying to get after. We obviously have some established poll times and uh, we'll be We'll be also looking at what uh, comes out of OMB OFPP because they've been thinking about trying to develop a, a standard definition for PALT as well. PALT matters, but I think what matters more are some flagship efforts that we launched uh, this year, actually. So I'll talk to I'll talk about two of those. Uh, so for the first time ever, we have, we're calling an Acquisition Business Review Council, an EBRC. It's an opportunity for us to look at acquisition from both sides of the coin, and that's program management and procurement. Uh, so we really want to shore up both sides of, of the house there. And we're requiring folks at a particular dollar threshold to come forward and talk about their, their program plans and the infrastructure that they've established, their budgeting, uh, you know, things like that. So how prepared are they for us to enter into a big contract for them uh, in support of their needs and, and how, how well positioned are they to manage that contract uh, if, we, if we move forward. And again, is there a good acquisition strategy attached to it? So uh, this EBRC is in a pilot phase right now. Uh, we've already had a couple of uh, programs go through it uh, successfully, I think. And uh, it's, it's sparked really good dialogue with a set of uh, executives that have shared equities and the department's acquisition program. So it's chaired by two key individuals. Uh, my boss, who is the assistant secretary for uh, administration and also the, the chief acquisition officer, uh, and then uh, our budget director, who is the uh, the appointed program management improvement officer. I sit on the board as well and, and a handful of others. Our CIO uh, sits on for IT investments. So so the EBRC is a big one for us. It's, it's a flagship uh, effort to really start to to think about how we do major acquisition differently. And then I'd say the other one, the, the complement to that is uh, procurement planning conferences. So where the rubber hits the road at the tactical level, we uh, this past year uh, piloted with seven offices, this uh, kind of a, a formalized approach for engaging in planning for next year's procurement portfolio this year. Right. So in the third quarter of this year, um, our head of contracting activity and her staff met with uh, the offices and the pilot. And they weren't talking about fiscal year 23 requirements. They were talking about now fiscal year 24 requirements. Uh, and so that's that's the cycle that we want to start driving the department towards getting into this this cycle of every third quarter. We're thinking about next next fiscal year while we're also trying to close out this this year's business. Those are the two big things that we're trying to do as it relates to uh, to planning. And then I'd say the major output from that would be better pulp time. The review board piece, you said it was just in the pilot stage. You've, you've, you said it's at a specific dollar threshold. What is the dollar threshold? And are you planning on other pilots this year? Or have you seen enough that, okay, let's let's start beating up the implementation of this effort? The threshold is uh, $250 million and over, uh, so it's pretty high. We don't want to clog the system with everything. It's, it's risk-based, I would say, Jason. So at that dollar threshold, we're expecting program offices to you know, really kind of have a, a more formalized plan and approach for program management. And also, the procurements at that level are usually for systems, uh, which are very complex, and or uh, major services, again, very complex. Uh, we do we buy more services in the federal government these days than we do anything else. So so it's kind of aimed at uh, at, at catching those things and not creating a bottleneck with the uh, lower dollar things. So it's it's really a risk based approach. 
And uh, in terms of the pilot, uh, we'll continue uh, doing a couple more. We've got um, a queue now set up for some fiscal year 24 uh, procurements that we're uh, we're going to be reviewing, uh, and then we'll be assessing uh, at the end of this. And uh, you know, we're already starting to capture lessons learned from it, you know, and, and building a little repository for best practices. And uh, we'll assess. Uh, we've got some you know some metrics and some benchmarks, and we'll assess how well we did in terms of. Uh, accelerating uh, those acquisition plans, which is really what it's designed to do. Once we give a thumbs up and say, hey, this looks like a very good strategy and you've got, you know, a very good uh, program plan and, uh, and and staff in place to to manage it, the output, the, the, the carrot, if you will, is an accelerated acquisition plan. And so, um, yeah, so we'll assess uh, the pilot at the end and hopefully uh, broaden it a little bit and uh, keep it going. In the one or two you've done already, is there anything you would point to and say, oh, that was a good lesson learned that we can start applying more broadly or that's a mistake we don't want to do again? You know, I think it, it really kind of comes down to the forum is creating an opportunity for people that should be talking to talk, right? Um, I think what we're seeing sometimes is that there are more shared equities in one one office's particular acquisition than they might they might think, right? They may be I'm not saying operating in a vacuum, but like they might be thinking, well, this is just kind of our line of business and this is, you know, others aren't as uh, affected by this, right? And I think we're finding that that's not necessarily the case. I think, you know, in some cases uh, with some of the major acquisitions, there's broad uh, equities uh, across the board. And so I think the, the major theme is talk, talk, talk to others. Let's, let's see who else is doing this or let's, let's also talk externally. I think that we're, we're seeing that there's opportunities to talk to other departments, you know, about similar uh, procurements. Mike, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Mike Darios, the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Darios the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. And jumping over to the other pilot you mentioned, which is about uh, really the, the planning piece, a lot of agencies do a procurement forecast. They, they, they have this kind mm-hmm. of planning piece in, in place already. How is this different beyond just that we're going to forecast our opportunities? Is this a deeper forecast? Is this a better forecast? What, what's the difference with this, uh, the, the planning conferences? So the forecast is a statutory requirement for all agencies to have to publish opportunities, mostly for the small business community, but everybody looks at it. Uh, Obviously, mid-tiers, large businesses pay attention to it as well. Uh, We're uh, still in the process of trying to redesign our forecast tool to make it uh, much more robust. I think industry is going to be pretty excited uh, about what they see here coming. We had to hit a bit of a pause button on it, but it's back on and uh, back on. And um, I'm really excited about uh, the progress that we're making there. So, but the forecast tool, Jason, is really just, um, it's just that it's a tool, right? The real interaction that needs to be happening is the the procurement planning conference uh, piece without having a formal approach that, you know, to be honest, is also driven by policy from me. Well, well-intentioned people that should be talking to each other just unfortunately don't. So that program manager that really wants to get after the recompete and not, you know, re- recycle the old statement of work from five years ago has got a lean staff on their side. My folks are, you know, kind of lean, not, not as, uh, 
not as staffed up as we we, we want to be. Uh, we're working on that as well. But time gets away, the issue of the day, you know, creeps in, and unfortunately, the robust dialogue around acquisition that should be happening just sometimes doesn't happen. So that's what the PPCs are all about, uh, the procurement planning conferences. That's about bringing people to the table, getting down to brass tacks and talking about, okay, so no kidding, what's in your portfolio for next year? What do you need to buy? New contracts, you know, not just exercising options on existing contracts. It's, it's mostly focused on the new body of work. We're trying to drive that in a formalized process so that all of our customers are getting that same experience. Um, we have very good planning. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's in pockets and we're not we're not leveraging that, I think, to the extent that we should be. So that's what this is about. The, and, and so I guess one 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 final thought on that. All of that upfront work needs to happen in order to populate a better forecast for industry to see. You almost read my mind because I was going to ask, are, are those procurement planning conferences, is the output from that? the forecast or is there a different output that you do share with industry or is it mostly internal? We're trying to build an acquisition ecosystem at the department where it all fits in uh, together. So that earlier acquisition planning that I was talking about, the and I'll say, I'll make the distinction between acquisition planning and procurement planning. Procurement planning is like, you know, what are the vehicles that we need to put in place for you to meet your needs? The acquisition planning is, Hey, so you're going to be going after a big contract that is delivering capability for the department's mission. And this, this program uh, is integral, you know, to mission success and the, the contracts that we're going to award, you know, it's, it's all connected. So between that, that EBRC uh, at the high level acquisition strategy, procurement planning conferences at the tactical level, if you will, that is is setting us up for better industry engagement, which sets us up for better innovation and in the and uh, the RFPs, which is setting us up for better quality assurance and contract administration after we put things on contract. It's not just about the pre-award. I didn't really focus on that too much when I was going through the priorities, but uh, another key uh, program that we're launching is um, a new and improved quality assurance program where we're going to be looking at our contracts post-award uh, and really focusing on the opportunities to uh, to shore up contract administration and where we need to be training our staff differently as well. Uh, so we'll be kind of calling the, the common themes that we're seeing and then uh, figuring out where the problem spots are and where we need to train better. So uh, all of this, this focus on shoring up program management, uh, shoring up uh, uh, contract development, contract strategy work, leading to better outcomes uh, in the end, which is what we want, right? The, the contract is useless if uh, we, we could award it on time, we could award it on budget, but if it's not yielding the desired return for, for the mission, it's just, you know, it's, it's wasted effort and that's what we don't want. So all this kind of comes together to really build out uh, a much a much more robust uh, acquisition uh, ecosystem. You brought up the pre-award, post-award work as well as a, a major priority, and you kind of segued into it nicely for me, which I appreciate. The fact is this idea of a quality insurance program. Let's start with pre-award. A lot of vendors I know will listen to this and say, oh, great, what is State Department doing to make it easier on me? What are some of those things you're thinking about from a, a pre-award development perspective that, that will improve this ecosystem? 
I'll actually start with uh, our industry liaison program. Talking to industry early and often, I just, it's, I can't say enough about it. You know, we want to have a much more uh, comprehensive industry liaison program. Uh, we just piloted something else recently in, in the last couple of weeks of the fiscal year, uh, a vendor management program. Now that sounds, that may sound pat on the surface, like, well, don't you guys already have that? And, and everyone is required to have a vendor management plan, but a plan is not a program. I wanted us to really get after building a program where we routinely bring in the companies that are in our top 10 uh, or top 20 spin and the companies that have multiple contracts with us and talk about just the relationship, not a specific deal uh, with this office or this bureau, but just in general, what is it like uh, doing business with us and, and let's let's learn from each other. So so we just did that with five companies, uh, large, medium, and smalls, and uh, also companies that kind of cut across a good swath of our our customer base. Um, so it's things like that. It's it's talking to industry at a strategic level, but then at the tactical level, right? Uh, which is you know what a lot of the companies uh, really uh, pay the most attention to because they're interested in the opportunities. We want to have you know an opportunity where we're, we're thinking about industry days differently. We're, we're thinking about just how we engage in uh, dialogue leading up to an RFP release and then thereafter differently. I want our acquisition professionals at State Department to be just as savvy as our industry counterparts are about the business of government. Um, you know, when I talk to, to people in industry, uh, they know the FAR almost as well as we do, right? They know our processes in and out. And that's great. I, I want our folks to be just as educated on industry's practices, right? And what industry has to go through to get to their, uh, their bid and no bid decisioning. So it's, it's, the, it's these types of things, uh, really, to be honest with you. The vendor management office or vendor management program, you mentioned you did it with five companies. Did you learn anything you were able to share from that experience? And what's it look like going forward? Is that something you're going to continue as you go into 2024? Oh, it's absolutely going to be something that we build on. We did. We picked up on a couple of key themes. I won't go into all of those, but it was uh, definitely learning on both sides. I think we picked up on a couple of ideas for uh, how we should be uh, restructuring some RFPs and key parts of our portfolio to try to drive competition. We learned a couple of things about perceptions about communication, and, and I think that there are some opportunities uh, to, to break down some of those uh, those perceptions that might be inaccurate. Um, so yeah, in general, there were definitely uh, some themes across all five of those discussions. We're actually in the process because we just wrapped it at the end of the year, the fiscal year. We're going to be uh, actually doing a hot wash here in a couple of weeks uh, and going through all of those uh, those themes. How should industry expect you to change based on what you learned? Uh, you mentioned, mm -hmm. for instance, restriction some RFPs, improved communications. It is you know one of the biggest challenges for any acquisition office is how to communicate with industry. Industry, you know, mm -hmm. loves to hate RFIs. They love to hate industry days. Oh, well, I want to go and learn everything from Mike Darius, but I don't want to ask you any question in public. Then you hear things like, well, if they just had one-on-ones, well, how do you have one-on-ones mm -hmm. with 150 different companies? You could spend six months doing that before you even write an RFP. Right. So, so where should they look for maybe some changes? I've got this mantra that, you know, acquisition is a team sport. And I believe that industry is a part of our mission. 
Uh, we, we literally cannot execute our mission without our industry partners. I, I, I would want our industry partners to be prepared to do a couple of things, sharpen their pencils. You know, we're going to be paying uh, much more attention, uh, closer attention to uh, cost and price analysis, really building up our, our prowess there. Again, if we're, if we're taking the time to build better acquisition strategies and building in the time for negotiation, companies should start expecting to see our contracting officers negotiating. So I think when and where it makes sense, I'm not saying that this is going to happen across the board, right? In some cases, it makes total sense to take uh, the first offer. It's a good one. Let's, let's go with it. In other areas, it makes sense to bring people to the table. Uh, so I think that industry should be prepared for that. I think that as we're elevating our, our game when it comes to acquisition planning and, and program management, along with that is going to come a greater sense of just uh, driving performance. So and in, in, in asking our contractor community uh, to be held accountable for, uh, for results with us. Um, now, it cuts both ways, of course, right? Industry is not getting what they need from us in order to be successful, right? The, the door is open. I need to hear that. And, and I have a lot of those types of conversations. So, uh, so it's, I, I, I can't, it's going to sound hokey, Jason, but it's really all about a different type of partnership going forward. I think that's a common refrain we hear from a lot of folks in your position and contract officers. They want change and then industry will come back and say, yeah, they want change, but that doesn't happen either quickly enough for them or they don't really see a difference. So, you know, the fact that you're talking about it, the fact that you have these five acquisition priority areas, I think shows that, that there is some change happening. Mike, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Mike Darios, the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Darios, the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. The last priority I just want to touch upon before we jump into a, a, a supply chain discussion which is uh, the people side, and, and that relates obviously to innovation. So you talked about building capacity and capability. Or you talked about innovation of giving some new tools to your workforce, so maybe AI and ML for in smart ways. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, those two things and how you want to build the people up to, I'm sure, hire more people, but also train them and upskill them so they can do the analysis and, and get rid of the low-value work, things we've heard mm-hmm. in, over, over the years recently. The people, that's my passion, you know, to be honest with you. Um, nothing gets done without uh, our, our workforce. Uh, and we've got some of the best. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of what they do every year. Uh, we just actually had a another pretty big uh, end of fiscal year. We processed uh, about $10.5 billion for the department. Uh, very complex work. Uh, and, and they're not just, uh, you know, doing the deals every day, but they're also leaning forward and helping us to uh, evolve the organization and advance it. So uh, really proud of them. As it relates to shoring up the, the acquisition community. So I, I don't believe in just saying, hey, we're going to do some things, right? We actually put uh, thought to paper and then we, we dedicate resources to doing those things. So uh, we develop what I call a hire to retire program. Uh, it is a very comprehensive program. 
if I were to show it to you, it's, it's over a hundred pages, but this is our overarching strategy. It is a, it is a comprehensive people strategy, if you will, uh, that's focused on uh, a variety of things. So instituting sourcing and, and hiring strategies. So where are we getting our people from? We can't continue to rely on uh, USA jobs. Uh, obviously, that's the portal. Everybody has to uh, to go there. But we need to start really driving interest in federal service and acquisition uh, as a career field with people well before job announcements are hitting uh, the street. And so we want to start uh, and are starting to have some conversations with the venues that would offer us the ability to talk up what we do. So that's one, one element of it. Uh, another element of it is um, workforce planning. So in general, where do we need people? What skill sets are we looking for? And thinking about that strategically. Uh, I, I, I hate to admit this, but I think the, the vast majority of my peers are probably in the same situation. Somebody leaves, there's a vacancy, and we backfill the vacancy. And that's great. We need to do that. Uh, but I think what's more important is thinking strategically about now, what's that position description need to look like? Or, okay, we have a vacancy in this area. Is that where we want and need to backfill or do we need to, to backfill it in a different area, right? So really thinking strategically about uh, our workforce planning. Another big element of it is driving employee experience. So we've developed a, uh, a very unique, I, I say unique, I mean, I think it has a lot of the fundamentals that a lot of other fe uh, federal agencies focus on, but it's a competency map. And, uh, and we've got a, um, an opportunity now uh, through this competency map and this career, this career path model for managers and employees to have a meaningful discussion about what career advancement looks like. So contracting officer says, hey, I'm really interested in uh, at some point getting to a GS-14. How do I do that? A manager looks at them blankly and says, yeah, let me think about that. That's not what we want. We want for that manager to be able to say, well, hey, let me, have you taken a look at the competency model and the career path model? Let's, let's take a look at that together, right? And that kind of dialogue should be informing people's individual uh, development plans, their IDPs, uh, the, kind of, the kinds of trainings that they're going after. So in general, we're talking about really building out a good toolkit for managers uh, to, to have a meaningful uh, discussion about uh, career development with their employees. And then I think that the last uh, key element of it is upskilling. Uh, so just in general, how are we not just training our people, but developing our people? Um, and in some cases, uh, are we focusing on, uh, you know, their, their needs today, but also their career, you know, their, their career needs tomorrow, right? You got some people that are never going to be managers, and that's okay. Maybe don't, don't aspire to be managers, right? But what does that path look like for them, right? And how do we need to develop them in the organization? On the, on the opposite side, you got people that are, you know, great candidates for, uh, for management positions. How do we really and truly develop them? So it's not just focusing on the certification programs, which are great. It's also us internally building out uh, development programs that are specific to the acquisition workforce so that we're preparing people and creating leadership pipelines. A lot of agencies are facing the quote-unquote retirement wave, the acquisition mm -hmm. workforce. You know, I've seen statistics uh, from OFPP, from GSA, you know, more people over 70 than under 25, 
four times as many people over 60 than over 30. Uh, are you in the same spot or have you been able to kind of keep at least a good pipeline of, of early and mid-career folks coming in to do acquisition for state? We need to do better uh, in that area. Yeah, I, I think we, we, we do have a very good portion of our workforce uh, that's eligible for retirement. Luckily, they've stayed. We've got a lot of people that uh, have historical knowledge that is incredibly valuable to us, and they've chosen not to retire, which is fantastic. But we know at some point those folks will. And so we really are focusing this Hire to Retire program. We're going to have some things in there for senior level folks, of course, because we just because you've gotten to a particular level in your career doesn't mean you're done learning right and developing. Uh, But we're really going to be focusing on uh, the mid-level. I think we've done a good job of uh, bringing in uh, entry-level talent, but one of the key elements of the the program is also going to be a State Department-specific intern program. I shouldn't say intern. It's more like just an entry-level program where we bring folks in at a GS-7 and grow them, you know, very quickly to uh, a GS-12, and then they start competing, you know, for their their GS-13 on up through uh, the 15 levels. That's going to be a key key focus area of ours because we, we do have... Uh, we're, we're, we're in that same situation uh, with a lot of other agencies with a very high percentage of folks that are eligible. And then finally, at the same time, when we talk about people, and there's a lot to talk about people, innovation, you want to give them the tools and the really the sandbox to be innovative. How are you kind of addressing that last priority that, that we haven't talked much about? One aspect of it is just talking it up, right? We have a, a dedicated corner in our uh, monthly newsletter for uh, acquisition innovation. Um, so, because I, I think the more people can hear uh, and learn from others that, hey, you know, there is an appetite for innovation, the more people are going to be willing to try things out. And so just talking it up in general is, is a big part of it. But we've also, you know, we've introduced some innovative techniques uh, I can't go into all of the details because we're in source selection, but uh, our big Evolve program, we, we used a, uh, an advisory down select, and I think fairly effectively, we're now in phase two. Uh, so yeah, uh, we are trying some things out. And uh, I think the, the interest in, uh, in using different techniques uh, is there. And uh, the, 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 more, the, the, the most important thing I'll say that I can do is just model it. Let people know that there is a safe space. You know, we, we are willing to give you some runway. You know, if you've got, uh, if you've done the due diligence and you've really thought, you know, thought out a good business case for trying something uh, that's a little bit out of the norm, let's hear it. I think that's probably the biggest challenge you as a leader in this procurement world has is giving people the safe space, give them that runway. Have you had that specific conversation yet that says, hey, if you succeed, that's on you. If you fail, that's on me. Because I think one of the things I've always appreciated about Soraya Korea, who you probably know from her days at DHS, is she always loved to say, hey, that was because I had the, the staff was great that we succeeded. Or when something failed, like if you remember the Flash Agile Procurement, she said, hey, that's on me. I failed. Have mm. you have you had that? Maybe not that in, in direct terms, but people have to feel like Mike's got my back. Otherwise, I don't want to be innovative because the IG or GAO or somebody will yeah. tell me I did something wrong. And I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, I think that's what a leader should do. I'm constantly out there talking up different things, right? They have to hear it from me. I'm throwing out ideas like question-based requirements, you know, which is, I think, 
a step that goes a little bit further than your typical statement of objectives. You know, just ask industry questions in general. Just literally write your questions down, put that out there, and let them respond to that. Whether it's that or whether it's us, uh, you know, talking about. I'm still trying to get OTA authority. Uh, we don't have it yet, but, but just them uh, hearing me talk about the value of OTAs or you know why we should have different tools in our acquisition toolbox, for example. I'll give you, I guess, uh, I guess I'll trust you, Jason, and give you a, a little bit of a scoop. Uh, we're actually, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to be moving out with uh, federally funded uh, research uh, development centers. Uh, so we're going to put, uh, we got approval uh, at literally, literally came today to, uh, to enter into a sponsor agreement, uh, sponsorship agreement so that we can uh, start establishing our own direct relationships with uh, FFRDCs. Why is this important and, and, and why is it innovative, right? Uh, it, it gives us, again, another tool in the toolbox that we just don't have today. Today, we have to go to other agencies and try to get access to their FFRDCs. Now we'll be able to have our own suite of, uh, of, FF, of FFRDC contractors. It's little things like that, them hearing me talk about why we should have these capabilities and them seeing me kind of fight for these things, you know, and, and, and put the business case together and do the communications roadshow with folks that may not understand what they are. But, you know, once we once we teach them what the value proposition is, they get it and they're like, oh, that's a no brainer. We should do that. So it's these little things. Mike, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Mike Darios, the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Darios, the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. Let's just dig a little into the FFRDC real quick, because I think sure. when you say before you had to go to other agencies, so maybe DOD to say, hey, could we work with you on this topical area through your FFRDC or how did it work? We just didn't have our own uh, IDIQ vehicle with uh, the MITRES or the LMIs or the RANs of the world, right? There, there's several of them out there and they, and they provide great service. Uh, and in a very niche area. And the State Department's mission is evolving. So we are now doing things that the department wasn't asked to do, you know, in years past. Uh, and I think that's that's the case across the board, frankly, uh, in, in all aspects of the mission. So the research aspect, uh, especially of R&D, really is something that we could benefit from. Uh, and we we do use uh, FFRDCs, but the way it works is we have to go to, like you said, a DOD or somebody and and see if the scope works. Number one, does, does, is it a fit? Can we use the vehicle? And then there's always the issue of sealing, right? So the other agency is going to, rightfully so, uh, protect the ceiling, on, uh, the ceiling on their vehicles. And when uh, other agencies are eating into that ceiling a little too much, they back off and say, hey, all right, now you're going to have to go somewhere else and get that support. And, and, you know, we could be right in the middle of something and frankly have been, uh, you know, uh, some, some very important engagements and had to start over. Uh, so uh, we want to try to alleviate that problem by having access to our own suite of vehicles. And from the OTA perspective, because again, something else that I know is, is gaining some popularity, is that a legislative request that state it has is. made? Yeah, this is our this is our second year uh, making the request. 
I keep saying I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the well until it's dry. You know, like I, I'm gonna keep asking for it. I, I think that I would love, frankly, just to see the the program expanded writ large. Um, I understand why it's not, but uh, I think that State Department has some very uh, unique needs that uh, we could benefit from from OTA authority. Uh, I think that in our diplomatic security portfolio, for example, right, the ability to accelerate development of uh, of a particular product, uh, security related product, uh, could absolutely help our mission set. And the ability to do that with a vendor that you know maybe doesn't know anything about federal procurement frankly, may not even care about federal procurement, uh, but, you know, they'd be happy to, to develop something that they're, they're using, uh, using, you know, elsewhere. We would love to have that capability for the Department of State. So I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep at it and uh, uh, see, see where it goes. But yeah, it's a ledge prop uh, process. I appreciate that. I know sometimes uh, those can, you got to ask and ask and continue to ask and eventually they'll come yeah. through. The last thing, Mike, before I let you go, is we've talked a lot about different topics uh, over the course of our conversation. But when it comes to supply chain, what's the big message you want to make sure that industry knows about what state's doing, where you're going with this, and what's important? A good common thread here uh, for everything that we've talked about is dialogue and that upfront, honest conversation. I don't think that, you know, industry is just going to have it all figured out. I don't think that we have that expectation. But let's have the dialogue, right? So if there is a particular requirement where we need to have some very stringent, uh, uh, you know, uh, supply chain requirements baked into the RFP or the contract, uh, let's talk about that. And if you're if you're going to have a challenge meeting it, we'd like to know that earlier rather than later, you know. Um, and then we're you know we're into a, a contractual relationship, and then you say, ah, well, we're really weren't really able to to, to execute that. Well. You should have told us that. Right. Um, I think we, we want to have that kind of dialogue, honest, uh, you know, dialogue with industry uh, much earlier about uh, supply chain risk. Um, it's it's a shared risk. Uh, and, and that's probably like the, the final message I would I would offer is we understand that on our side, that it's shared risk. Um, so we, we want companies to be comfortable talking to us about that um, in some cases. Uh, it may make sense to, I'm not going to say relax requirements, but uh, approach uh, uh, supply chain health and, and risk differently than in another part of the portfolio, right? Um, but it's, it's hard uh, when we don't know what we don't know. So we really do need industry to talk to us. Mike, I very much enjoyed our conversation today. We've talked uh, a bunch of different topics. So let me thank my guest. Mike Darius is the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Senior Procurement Executive in the Bureau of Administration. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to chat with you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 